This is the Game Level Learn podcast. I'm your host, John Cassie. Game Level Learn is a podcast about the ways in which games and gamification can shape teaching and learning to improve the experience and success of students. We discuss gamified methods, review new and old games to explore how those games might be used out of the box in classroom practice, and discuss great books on games, gaming, and gamification that'll rev up your thinking. Tim Handley, welcome to Game Level Learn. Well, it's great to be here, John. It's always great to talk to you. Indeed, indeed. And the same, it's great to talk to you. Now, Tim, uh, you know, when I've introduced other guests on this show, you know, like me, you know, they've mostly worked in schools and they've had sort of, you know, they've done a few things sort of uh, sort of drilled down. Uh, And you, by contrast, you've done a million things and uh, you bring such a diverse uh, background to the questions that we care about on this uh, on this podcast and that you and I care about professionally. Um, tell the listeners a little bit about your different back, you know, your, the different things that you've done, JPL, National Park Service, and on and on and on as we get going. Can do. Yeah, it's been a it's been a long wandering journey, but but I feel like I'm getting closer to my goal. Good. So um, I've always liked knowing how stuff works. I was the kind of kid that would like take apart the broken vacuum cleaner to see what was inside it. So when I went to college, I studied physics because that's how stuff works at the most basic level. Uh, when I graduated college, I wanted to apply it some. I spent a year working for Los Alamos National Lab. I spent a year working for Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Uh, both those things were really intellectually interesting and, and, and super useful in lots of ways. They're also kind of oddly depressing. It was mm. a weird contrast. Um, In both those places, I was working in this subfield called atomic and molecular optics. And basically what you're doing is you're trying to manipulate atoms and molecules one at a time to do Mm. cool stuff that you can't do when you have clumps the size of, you know, a football. And to do this, you're using very small pulses of light. And that means you you cover up the windows and you close the door and you turn off the lights. And then to protect your eyeballs, you wear dark glasses. Um, and you do that four hours a day. <laughs> and, and it's super interesting. You know, there's lots of great problems to think about. There's lots of cool toys to play with from, um, you know, lasers to diamonds to, like, like poison fluids. Um, it's great. Yep. And um, But it got to where I needed sunshine. And so – Right. Or, or really uh, any light at all. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. And so um, I'd always planned to go to graduate school. And so when I went to graduate school, I chose ecology because that's how stuff works outside. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it was, Seeing it was the theme. same. So, yeah, yeah. Same motivation, but more sunshine. Right. Um, and, and there was a little bit of another piece in there, too, which is that, you know, I've always been an idealist and I'm, I'm very much in favor of, of science as, a, as a, a piece of the way we make the world a better place. And, and I know that physics does that, but... It, Physics tends to do it slowly. The things you learn now will help us out 10, 20, 50, 100 years down the line. And there's all sorts of like problems now in ecology and environments, you know, water, uh, health, uh, beauty, you know, things that, that feed the soul that are problems now. And so I felt that ecology was also a way to address more immediate problems. So I studied ecology. I got a master's in ecology, and that took me to the National Park Service. And, and that was a neat thing. And I was a weird guy there because I was a mathematical biologist, which was an unusual combination. Yeah. So I spent about a third of my time out in the field. This is uh, walking around Southern California, the, the mountains, the islands. What's growing? How big is it? Is it happy? Is it healthy? Is it fruiting? Is it flowering? Right. Uh, and then from that data, you're, you're getting <clears throat> patterns. 
And then from the patterns, you're trying to figure out the processes, like how is it changing and why? And so that was the mathematical part. That, that's, that's quantitative ecology. Yeah. So I was relatively unusual in that I could pull those things together you know, because of this uh, very background you talked about. So um, that now, was great. Yes, sorry. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking about these, these very, what, what seem rather divergent uh, uh, kind of lines of education, right? Right. But I know from previous conversations that we've had that you've synthesized them together when you think about yourself as an educator. Yeah, yeah. and as a gamer. You know, yeah, that, that's been another aspect of my life. It's not the professional part, but it's a, it's a personal thing. It's, sure. it's a thread that's run all through my life. And, right. Uh, you know, I very much see these things as kind of the same as, um, you know, I, I want to be a positive force for change in the world. And, and science definitely helps and ecology helps. Uh, but really, you know, people have to choose to do stuff. You know, the, mm-hmm. we have the knowledge we need to do what we do, but we're not doing it because mm-hmm. there's this gap between science and society. And it's, it, a lot of it is trust. Yeah. So, um, so I, I've, I've become an educator and I've become an educator through games because uh, games are, are engaging and they're fun in a way that other forms of education struggle with. Right. And that helps get at this hearts and minds issue of, of building trust of, you know, science is a valuable tool. It's a thing I respect. And maybe even if I don't want to be a scientist, like it's still kind of neat, you know, I'll go watch Neil deGrasse Tyson or I'll get a popular science book or I'll right. pause and I'll watch the trees and just think that's kind of cool. It's, it's the positive feelings about science and nature. Right. But, but there's a content thing too of understanding how things work, uh, both as a form of critical thinking, but also as specific cases, like how stuff works so that you can make good choices for yourself, your friends, your family for the future. And I think um, games do that really well. Indeed. And, and science and games actually fit together pretty well in that because science is you, you get information, you look for patterns, you right. figure out processes. You know, that's experiment, it's a theory. And all that goes on in games as well, whether you're a gamer or a game designer. Is it's, you know, the game has a theme, there's all these objects in it, and they're, they're connected by, by the game mechanics. And right. As a gamer, you're trying to see through the theme to the game mechanics, and then from the game mechanics, the theory of the game, you want to predict, like, what can I do to be successful? Precisely. Right. The... Uh the uh, uh, the magic circle of the game. What is the yeah. game? What what is the game sort of? Uh, uh, what is circumscribed around the game world, right? How do you play right. it? How does it work, right? And to your point, over and over again, when I talk to people about gamification in education or game based learning, they they will sometimes think that what we're talking about is playing Jeopardy. Yeah. Right. Or, or, oh yeah, I, I definitely, I, I think games in, in, in the classroom are great. Uh, I have my students play, play Monopoly all the time. Hmm. Record scratcher. Right. Because they're, 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 they're trying to get at what, what you just said. You know, games are engaging. Learning through gaming is intriguing, but it's intriguing particularly to me when it's serving some kind of content point when it's got a goal a learning goal 
Right. Right. And you know, those people doing Jeopardy, there often is a learning goal, but that learning goal is isolated facts. And yeah, I think exactly. that that is a, it's an inefficient use of gamification, right. though it's a very easy one, which is why it happens so often. Right. It just isn't particularly effective. Right. Right. Um, and what, what you and I are, are working on trying to do is to increase that, that effectiveness. Right. Right. To bring, uh, to bring our colleagues and frankly others, you know, in, in the conversation to a point where they don't sort of see the jeopardy as even being part of what we're talking about. Right. Yeah. I think the jeopardy is a really good example. Like, um, I mean, I played Jeopardy when I was in high school, and, and I specifically call out, this, this is actually related, like my biology class was right. entirely multiple choice tests, and it was almost entirely, this was an AP biology class, but it was almost entirely about memorizing isolated facts, and occasionally, right. occasionally they were connected together, like here's the Krebs cycle, or you know, this is what happens inside a leaf, but right. they were isolated facts, and that made them irrelevant to most people, and I liked the game of school, so I did them well, Right. Uh, but lots of people don't, and so I think one of the things games do is it's the mechanics underlie whatever facts are in there, and so it, it, teach, it gets it relevance, like these individual things are important because they're connected in these patterns and these processes, and right. that not only makes it fun as a game, but it also gets across the idea of relevance, which makes people more emotionally and intellectually engaged, like, oh, I can right. see that process, you know, maybe it impacts other things in my life, too. Right, exactly. That, that, that I mean, you, your, your point about being able to see processes and relationships, super important. Um, I think one of the, you know, that's one of the major, uh, you know, kind of points in its favor, right? I mean, the fact that gamification of education can be confusing to some. I mean, what are you talking about? What does that mean? I don't want my kid playing video games, right? Um, is kind of missing. I, I mean, I understand the argument. It just isn't what we're talking about. Right. right. And that's where, in some ways, you have to, like, redeem these words that have right. negative stigmas, like educational game. Is, right. a, is a bad word. That's why I say serious games now. It's sort of PC, but at the same time, it helps me avoid a little bit of that. Right, um, right. And, and even gamification, like even I have a little bit of trouble with that because when people say gamification, they often think exactly what you're talking about. The, right. the shallow deal of Jeopardy as opposed to like, let's make, let's put the content into the game so that people have to touch the content and manipulate it. Like you have to do the things that you want them to learn inside the game. Right. You know, the deeper, more effective gamification. Exactly, exactly. Now, you've been working for a while now on uh, an enterprise called Mindful Mammoth. Yes. Okay, now, I heard a presentation by you a few years back at a serious games conference in in Pittsburgh, and uh, Tracy uh, Wozniger, who was on the, the previous uh, two episodes ago, and I saw, and we were both totally fascinated by the work that you were doing. Now, tell, tell, uh, tell the listeners a little bit about what Mindful Mammoth is about and how you're bringing your sort of philosophy of serious games and gamified instruction to life in your own, uh, uh, in your own products. Sure. So Mindful Mammoth primarily is a, is a curriculum design house. We design mm-hmm. 
game-based curriculum. We make science games. We make lesson plans around them. Um, and as a, as a cousin of that, we also run outreach programs. So, you know, we go into schools, we go into festivals, and we share these with people. That's a, it's, it's a way that we get feedback. We learn to be better, but it's also, you know, fun and worthwhile. Yep. And, and we try to share these things with other people because I don't, I don't want these things to be just, just us, just right. me. I want them to get out and be used so that, so right. that we have positive change in the world. Um, right. And this, you know, as a design house, this is, it's not just science games, but the, the process of, of modeling that is fundamental to science, like is very much, um, is very tightly connected to the process of game design. So, you know, as a scientist, what you are doing is you're working with models all the time. If you're an experimentalist, you observe facts and you build a model. Like I think mm -hmm. these facts are results of this stuff going on. If you're a theorist, it's like you have a model and you try and predict new stuff so that maybe people can build better car engines or, or better rockets or just right. to, to say, yeah. So, so, um, every game is, is a model. Like that's, that's, I think, a, a tautology almost. A game Indeed. A it's a truism. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Right. Um, yeah, we agree completely on that. Right. And so, so rather than sort of making games about abstract things or about, uh, you know, choosing your model to serve the, the purpose of fun or entertainment, what you can do is, is say, I'm going to put the model in my game, you know, that this model is going to be a model from the real world. It's going right. to be a piece of uh, physics, of environments, of geology. And so then you have a, a model-based game. And so this process of, of models and science is very much a, a, akin to the process of building models with, with game mechanics. And so that's that's our uh, our theory is is you know you, you build it around a real thing so then when players play the game as they interact with the mechanics you know they are enacting the things you want them to learn they are mm -hmm. interacting with this model of a real world system and they're learning about the model and they're learning about the real world system and, and they're having fun and they're they're exploring and and you know they are getting the benefits of gamification you know the, the reward systems uh, the relatively free exploration but it's a it's right. in a deeper way a uh, more meaningful way so. <laughs> Right. Well, and 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 the way that your uh, the way that your designs work, having played them, also builds in the uh, this kind of notion of of flow. Right. I mean, I, Tracy and I found ourselves really getting kind of lost in time as we were playing um, Puzzle of Life. Right. Uh, that we were really kind of focused on. Well, what what are what are the choices that we can make? And what are the, you know, what are the consequences of these choices, right? And for, 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 for me, sociality, self-direction, and, and a, a, a kind of, uh, uh, kind of a personal commitment, you weren't doing anything. We were playing, the, the, the game itself was stimulating, right? And, and, and I think that that, that, that speaks to the effectiveness not only of your design but but also to this kind of larger enterprise of gamified instruction yeah and i'm really glad you're excited and you know jesse shell at that same conference yeah. a very famous game designer one of his comments was um, you know if people are touching it you've made a good thing and if they're not touching it then you need to go back and rethink and you guys were touching it and that made me uh, that was a very gratifying moment you know I that's exactly what i want to happen <clears throat> right yeah we had a, we had a great time and and we talked uh, you know, at at length afterwards about how you were thinking about systems, right? I mean, you know, Tracy's a 
you know, she comes to this from, from the same perspective that you do, science, right? My perspective, uh, you know, my, my earliest education is sort of in, uh, you know, sort of history and, and, and literature. But history is full of systems as well. And so there's, uh, there was a lot. We, we found the experience very productive. And uh, I was grateful to you for, for it. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that we've been able to continue, uh, you know, our partnership. Um, urchins, otters, and hidden forests. Okay. Now, sure. Puzzle of Life, that, that's, that's a good game. Urchins, Otters, and Hidden Forests. Tim, I am telling you, that game and our conversation maybe six months ago about it, that has stuck with me since we talked about it. Because it brings that, that, that systems play in so viscerally for a younger learner while also incorporating... A, a storytelling mechanic, a kind of mimicry mechanic that I think dynamite. So I'm so glad. so so tell 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 the tell the, the, the listeners about Urchins, Otters and Hidden Forests, what the learning objective is and why they should go get this game right now. Well the deal is first off, this is actually the same game. Like you were talking about the puzzle of life a moment ago, yeah, this right. thing that I showed you guys at the conference. Right, right. This is the same thing, and this is actually something I'm really proud of, is that I think the best thing about this idea of the puzzle of life is it's very, very flexible. Mm-hmm. You know, It works for different learners with different situations, works for different right. teachers who want to get across different kinds of messages. And so it's really a, it's a conceptual sandbox. And so the puzzle of life is one particular instance of this. It is a sandbox focused on a terrestrial North America, but it can easily be expanded to other things, that same idea. And so this this yeah. urchins, otters, and hidden forest, this is that same idea applied to a different ecosystem, to the to the kelp forests off the, the the western coast of the United States, California included, you know, where we are right now. Right. And so it does it does several things. Is is it starts <clears throat> off as as a storytelling. And stories are cool because uh, they're they're colorful. You know, there's there's characters, there's process, there's connection. This thing does this thing, does this thing, and right. and you know, narratives, if they're well told, they're just are just kind of fun. They're inherently fun. And so that's that's a cool deal, um, but the neat thing about this is it's it's a it's a sort of a puppeteering as well, and so it's not just a storytelling with uh, words or even with uh, gestures. What it is is it's a storytelling with puzzle pieces, and so right. the, this uh, guidebook that I've written, what it does is it it walks you first through the steps of creating. Um, they're not actually puppets, but they're analogous to puppets. You create hexagonal tiles that you can place on a table and you can rearrange these in different ways and so each tile represents a piece of an ecosystem mm-hmm. and they have ins and outs to show about the flows of matter and energy in this ecosystem so for example kelp takes in uh, sunshine and it creates more kelp you have urchins that eat kelp and then they create baby urchins you have otters that eat urchins and and so on and so you create these pieces and you can put them all together and say there's a model of an ecosystem Right. But the thing is, ecosystems change over time. You know, there's um, natural disasters, earthquakes, fires, floods, hurricanes, right. and then there's human messing with stuff. And so that's actually what goes on here. So you have this ecosystem, and then humans come in and they say, wow, those otters, they are super fuzzy. I want to wear one. And, right. and, and, and they um, killed a whole bunch of otters. In fact, uh, for a long time, people thought that all of the the otters um, off California have been killed um, for their furs. Uh-huh. And when that happens, the, uh, 
that left the urchins with their major predator gone, and the urchins expanded, and then they ate the heck out of the kelp forest, and the kelp forest declines uh, to the point where they actually disappeared in some places. Mm. And you can animate this as you tell the story. So after you've made these pieces, you can sort of hook it together and say, this is what it was like in uh, the late 1800s. And then you had humans came in, and they exterminated all the, ur- all the, the otters. And so you can pick that piece up and you pull it out. And then you can right. sort of look at the system and you see these urchins, they had these out arrows where they were creating baby urchins. And there's no longer a sea otter there to sort of collect that output. Instead, those urchins are just flowing into the environment unchecked. And so, right. you know, with your eyeballs, you can, you can see what's happening. And so you say, well, there's urchins flowing in. We need more urchins. So you pick up another urchin piece and you put it in. And then when you put it in, you find there's no good way to hook it to the kelp, right? The, everything right. that the kelp was producing is already being eaten. And so when you put in the new urchin, what that means is that the urchin is taking things that the kelp can't safely give. It's causing harm. So right. as you, you narrate through this, you, you animate it with your hands, and that makes these uh, consequences, the system's thinking, more clear. It's, right. a, it's a system where you have a cascade of consequences. You, you change the situation with the otters by making them go away. That changes the urchins. That changes the kelp force, and that changes all the things connected to the kelp force. <clears throat> Right. It's this ecological cascade, a domino effect. Um, but it's the same style as the puzzle of life. And the, the meta message here, or the, the subtext, is that this story is a, um, it's a, it's an instance of a bigger process, a more abstract process of these uh, ecological cascades. And by um, showing students how to do this, it is giving them an example, an example of how they might tell their own stories of some exactly. place they like, whether it's uh, dinosaurs or dragons or their own life with their friendships. You know, that right. systems too. And so it's, right. it's trying to be multiple things in one place so that people can take up whatever part of it they wish. They can do the graphic art of the puzzle pieces. Right. They can do the storytelling that has to do with theater. They can do the systems thinking if they're really into science. Um, or they can craft new things You know, if they're into some different part of the world. So. Right. I'm very proud of this. Yeah, you should be. Um, it's um, it's really an extraordinary piece of work, and and what what I in particular love about it. This is this is what I was thinking about the whole time I was driving home after our conversation. How would you scale it down for younger learners? That seems pretty self evident to me. Scaling it up, taking it out of the sort of ecosystem. What other kinds of ecosystems? You talk about social ecosystems, right? Right. Okay, well, a social ecosystem is how a corporation works. A social ecosystem is how a school culture develops. I've spent a lot of time studying school culture in another part of my my life. I'm, I'm totally fascinated by that, right? Um, you look at, uh, at, at uh, hysteria crises, um, witchcraft hysterias, um, things like that. And those are expressions of, right, where's the energy coming into the system that fuels a community to stone young women to death? Because it's such an, it's such an aberrant thing, right? Where, where, you know, what happens to, the shore when you take out those otters you described it to me this way you have a wasteland of slowly starving urchins 
Yes. And if you go like, Google urchin me, parents, you know, yeah. yes, yes. You can find photographs and it's terrible. It's terrible. Funny, but terrible too. Yeah. And, and, and the, the game as designed imparts that better than almost any other mechanism. Right. So what you have is a, is a kind of a model that I think if I were using it in a classroom, I would, I would teach it as you described it, have students play with it. But my assessment of their learning would be designing, design a similar game that demonstrates your mastery of another ecosystem. And I think that's wonderful. I mean, that's perfect, and, right? Um, I would, sometimes it's hard to talk because there's too many <clears throat> branching ways we could go that are really interesting. Yeah, um, right. I, I would say that, you know, when we had this conversation, you said a thing that really struck me too that I've been thinking about a lot as well is, you know, you pointed out that in this, uh, this guide that I wrote, it basically gives people the punchline. You know, these right. things happened and then humans, thank goodness, sort of figured out what was going on in time right. and, and otter hunting was banned and they are now slowly recovering. You know, um, so in some ways, the, the solution is, is a part of this. But you said, you know, what if we talked about here's there's a there's a situation. It's sort of there's this cascade going on in this dangerous direction. What do you do? What if we leave it open ended? And so you've got this model. Right. And then from the model, students have to do some research and come up with a solution. That's that's a great thing. And that's a great way you could also bring this to older students as well. Is exactly. this, another style of thing. Open ended questions. Yeah. Well, and and. The older the student, the more the more inputs you can have. The more complex the system you're modeling can be. You know, I'm right. I'm, I'm I'm not sure a I'm I'm not sure a fourth grader should be learning about Salem anyway, right? But certainly a fourth grader is going to have a hard time getting a handle on uh, you know uh, uh, re- re- religion and uh, notions of gender. Notions of foreigners, notions of, you know, the woods and what makes the woods scary. You know, they're not going to get that, right? Just like there are probably other, you know, the, 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 the sun and urbanization and pollution and things like that that actually have a bearing on the system in, uh, in urchins, otters, and hidden forests. Right. Though, I mean, you bring up Salem, and I would say there's, <coughs> you know, there are elements of human nature that are, sure. that are common to problems in both social justice and environmental justice. And right. so I think the same kind of thinking process is useful to, to lots of human situations as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which hunts, which hunts among them. Right. I mean, just as a, as a sort of a, as a particularly glaring example. Yeah. 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 Um, now you've used these programs in your sub, in your sort of, uh, in, enrichment education work, right? Right. Yeah. What do kids think about it? Overall, it's positive. It's, it's a very, um, it's tough in many different ways. Like it's a different style of thinking. And right. um, so, so several times when I've done this, what I've done is I've tried to have a discussion ahead of time. You know? In this class, we are going to do serious play, which is an oxymoron intentionally. Right. You know? right. And it's, it's encouraging students to have this balance because we often have this false dichotomy like you work or you play, you work in school, you play in recess and other places. And that's, that's terrible because one of the, the subtexts of that message is like learning is not fun. Fun only happens outside of learning. And yeah. So you try to bring them together and people, if their experience is like, is that those things are separate, then sometimes it's, it's a little hard 
for them to deal with. I think their there's their instincts go the wrong way. Totally. Um, but but overall, it's been a good deal. I, I would say that um, people have not learned quite as much of the content as I hoped. But but it's always been a positive and engaging experience, and I think that. Um, Every time I do this, I learn a little bit, and I can present it in a slightly different way, and I'm bringing these into balance as well. But I, I'm really glad that the fun started out there, because I think that is actually the most important thing. To, you get the hearts and minds, and then the people care to learn. You know, It feels relevant to them, and then, then maybe we get action, and, and you know, the world becomes a better place, and unicorns and rainbows, right? Right, unicorns and rainbows. Maybe that'll be the title of this podcast for season two. All right. Unicorns and Rainbows with Tim and John. Yeah, exactly. You know, look, I've done a lot of gamification in, in classrooms and a lot of it hasn't worked. But I already know that if I just stand in front of the classroom and lecture for an hour, that doesn't work. Yes. Right. Or if I, you know, whatever you do, this is one of the things that people who don't teach don't get. Whatever you do is going to connect to some kids and miss others. So you've got to have lots of different arrows in the quiver, is how I put it. You got to have you got to have a lot of uh, you got to have a lot of tricks up the sleeve, or or you're just you're just not going to reach these kids who. It's not about being overstimulated or understimulated or the internet or whatever. It's simply they live in a world where attention means something different than it meant for people of a previous generation. If you don't respond to it, you're going to lose them. I struggle with all those things. I mean, yeah. I want to hit every kid, and when I see kids it's not working, I feel bad. And, yeah, and same. So I care about them, and it's yep. a tough deal. And yep. you, know, you have to sort of let go some, but if you let go too much, then, then you're jaded and you're no longer a good teacher. And it's definitely right. a tough balance. Right. So, so uh, when, when, when I'm doing uh, gamified learning or game-based learning, I know that some aren't into it, but I'd rather they come away having had an experience that is not just trying to be intellectually stimulating, but is trying to be serious fun. Because I, I, I have to believe, I do believe, that what we work through is going to stick with them longer than if the, what they experienced that didn't work was just me talking. And I very much agree. And, and, and you, you know, you asked me earlier, like how did my experience with uh, JPL and the national park service, how did that sort of lead to where I am? And, you know, I had, I had all these conversations with people and I would say, you know, Hey, I'm doing physics. And they'd say, wow, I took a physics class once. It was, it was awful. Yeah. And every once in a while, somebody would say it was awesome. Right. Um, and the same deal with biology. But you know, the, the majority of people, the clear majority of people said, I took the class, it was not fun, and that's how I learned it was not for me. Right. And I think that that's a terrible deal. That's the worst thing ever, right? Right. right. And, and all of us who study, who, who, who have a, a mastery of a particular area, have had that experience, right? I, I will say, you know, I have a master's degree in history to which I get wow, you must be really good at memorizing dates. And I just want to find my, the nearest wall and bang my head against it. Right. It's right. like, no, 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 no. That isn't history at all. I don't care at all about that. And so when I'm teaching it, if I say, I don't care about that, I want you to know that things happened in a sequence. But 
you know, March seventh, nineteen sixty two. No, I don't. I don't need for for our purposes. I want you to be able to think critically. And the data, the data nodes, are just different than what you've been told all along. They are. Yeah, and I think this is this is the subtext of school, um, and it's a thing that we we deal with now in society. And it's part of the reason that gap between science and society is so large is because so many people have had a traumatic experience. Like it was an honestly traumatic experience. Like it was it was a bad deal done to kids who were right. forced to sit in their chairs and suck it up. Right. And I think that's not how it should be. And I'm not saying everybody has to love science, and nor am I trying to make lots of little scientists. Like, if, if there is a little scientist, like, cool, go for it. I'm happy to support you. But I, I'd like people to feel that history, language, science, art, if you don't want to do it professionally, that's okay. But you should, you should feel that that's a, that's a conscious choice. That's like, do you like vanilla or chocolate ice cream? And, and you should respect it, and you should know that even if you're not doing it professionally, even if you don't love it the way some people do, it still has something to offer you, and it shouldn't be this antipathy and fear that, that comes out so often. Right. My, my argument as a, as a curriculum director, when students or parents say, well, what, you know, what's the benefit of X, Y, or Z? I, I will say, uh, in fairness, you could, you could have a curriculum in a school that, uh, that looks very different from the one that that is in the school that you're going to. We could make dance a mandatory requirement. You have to have four years of dance to graduate. The student who did that would have an appreciation for a wide range of skills, values, and attitudes that they won't get because they don't go to a school that does that. What's the importance of science or history or literature? Well, they're all about getting you to think in a certain way. And to be able to work with ideas in a certain way. And hopefully, if you've had really good instruction, to see over the wall of that particular discipline and see, well, what does that discipline have to say about these other ones? I think it's all about a web of knowledge and a web of learning. Back to, back to the point about systems, right? Yeah, very much. And I would also say that there's, you know, that... That web of knowledge, like critical thinking is a great deal, though I do like content too. Like I think there are beautiful stories in the world and people tell me, totally. you know, there's this stereotype that once you understand the refraction of light, rainbows are no longer magical. I think that's horrible. That's a person who has taught science in a dry way yep. and they don't, they're not excited about the magic of atoms and the weirdness of quantum mechanics, right. all the stuff that really makes rainbows happen because right. it's pretty miraculous. Right. You know, it, in, <clears throat> in history... I was just talking to a colleague about about this. Um, she's reading a um, a Lincoln biography. Okay, and there's of course thousands of Lincoln biographies, right? I said the great thing about reading a Lincoln about anything about Lincoln is that if it's if it's decently written, you'll get a better sense of who he is as a human being, and that's going to run counter to this endless heroizing myth making about Lincoln that obscures what makes him such a compelling figure and turns him into this kind of neutered hero when in fact he was unbelievably complicated and struggled every day of his presidency struggled right with himself and with with his own demons and with the country's demons and with his values and with all these people who hated him people hated him Hated on him 
like in a in a way that's unimaginable. You know, you think about Obama hate. There's nothing compared to Lincoln hate. Nothing. Every single day. While fighting a war. Crazy. It's crazy. I mean, we like our heroes simple, you know, right. Batman or, or you know, maybe or right. Superman, right? Or maybe Batman if you're getting a little more gritty. Uh, right. You know, the complex reality is, is tough. And it's that same deal in science. It's looking at the complex reality. You know, right. I think I think just the acceptance that things are complex systems, whether it's humans or, or ecologies, is hard and scary. Yeah, for sure. So, so look, you and I have talked about what I'm going to raise now a, a lot as well. We, we love games. We love learning. Students, and the process of learning. Okay? That's the first point. Okay. But... We both know that the way our education systems are sort of laid out these days probably miss more students than, than reach and certainly miss more students than we're comfortable with. And one of our approaches is, all right, well, what about this idea of gamifying instruction and gamifying learning? It's not the only thing about education and change, but it's something, right? You've, you, know, you, you and I have sort of ch- talked through this this idea that that this community of education changers quite fragmented. What do you think we yes. should do about it? What does your heart say? Well, my heart says is we should do this. We need to talk to each other and know that's not let's convene a blue ribbon panel and sit on it. Right. You know, that is a recognition of the fact that the big and powerful forces of the world are molding education into what it is. And I wish that we could grab those and change those. Right. And perhaps we can with time. But I think it's unlikely to happen with any reasonable speed. Right. And so I think we need to find ourselves more as a community. And there are, there are some conferences that go on, you know, and that's a nice thing. And, and there's some websites, there, there's people that, you know, you and I both write blogs and other people do. Right. And it is fragmented and it is tough. And, you know, for all that I've looked for a unified community setting, I haven't found one. But every opportunity I have, I, I try to pursue people to talk more. And, and right. I always enjoy talking with you and I enjoy pe- talking to people, you know, at the Serious Blade Conference. Right. Um, Educate is a really great place, too. You know, you know, there's there's good groups of people around, but we sort of come together and we fragment again. Right. And I don't have a good answer other than try harder, which doesn't feel like it's good enough. Talk more, work harder, right? Yeah, yeah. Work work harder to you know to what end, right? I mean, you know, your your point about the fragmentation, even in the gamified instruction community, right? The game based learning community. Yeah, I mean this. There, there's 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 all sorts of uh, there's all sorts of places to go if you have an interest in exploring that, and maybe there's too many, and maybe maybe uh, you know, maybe to some degree I'm I'm uh, a party to that, but I, but I, but I, but, I, but I still think it's important to have some place for for voices to to find their to find their outlet. Right. 
Yes. Yeah. And, and I'm glad I do what I do. And I'm glad that you do what you do. And I'm grateful for all these people. Right. And, and I wish that we could pull it together more. Um, I think Glass Lab has tried to do this some. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that they've been very successful, but they've tried. Uh, there are things like there's the uh, Science Game Center website, which is a thing I'm, I'm very much a fan of in principle. Right. But they seem like they keep sort of taking stuttering steps forward because because of money. You know, they're not ad supported. They have been supported by grants from time to time. And so, right. you know, it goes forward when they get a grant and then it sort of drops back on volunteer work. Right. And it's tough. And then you have like, there was Amplify Entertainment that was kind of really exciting for a while. You know, they were funded by some, I forget, large you know news conglomerates and, you know, they were trying to talk to districts all over the country and like, Right. Push this idea of games and like here's a here's a package that your district can have. Um, right. And then they've they've I don't really understand what's happened to them except that they've renamed themselves and um, they don't seem to be as active. I don't know. That was that was kind of sad to me. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I. I I'm. I'm with you on that, and I'm mindful that. I think that some communities which are sort of centered in Twitter or centered in in other social networks are not as unifying as sometimes people think they are. Mm-hmm. Right? They're too ephemeral. At least to me. I mean, I, I have a hard time uh, getting, feeling like I've built a, a really great community if it's just built around a hashtag. And I think part of that is also skill sets. Like, yeah. this is a thing, this is a harsh truth for me. Like, I'm, I'm a good scientist. I'm a good teacher. I'm a very good designer of serious games. I'm a, I'm a poor businessman and, and a really awful uh, marketing person. <laughs> like, it is, and it's not just about joy. You know, like, I have a paperwork phobia the way some people have math phobia. But, you know, it, it, it's a skill set. Like, you, you have to know stuff. You have to know how to talk to people like what are the buzzwords and what are the phrases and how do you, how do you, there, there's some manipulation involved. Like how do you make good things happen? It's, right. it's tough. Yeah. So I, I think that what we should be doing is thinking through what we might do within our own framework to bring about greater cohesion. You and I have talked a little bit about that. Um, but we should we should maybe be thinking about a way that we can bring some gamifying instructors together this year, right? Let's let's cultivate our own our own hidden forest. Right? Yeah, and then um, I mean to we, build from there. Yeah. And there's definitely things we can do around Southern California, though in some ways those are, and I would, I would love to pursue those, though in some ways they're, they're maybe a little specific to go into now. Um, yeah. Well, let's, let's, uh, let, let's agree to ask listeners who have thoughts on that to share them uh, with me or, uh, or with Tim. That sounds good to me. Tim, um, we're coming to the end, okay, of our time. Yeah. And you... You're, you're so earnest and deeply involved. And I know that if people go to uh, Mindful Mammoth and they look you up, they're going to want to be supportive. 
So how would a person who wants to connect with you connect with you and support your work? Um, well, first off, I'm really happy to talk. Like, I, I spend a lot of time um, – I don't, I don't get to have these conversations really often, and I really treasure them. And anybody who would care to talk with me, I'd be very happy to talk, you know, as best I can almost any time. Yeah. Um, you know, more specifically in terms of support, you know, this is, a, this is a tough thing. It's part of why we don't have a strong community. I mean, education – Funding is tough. Science funding is tough. Right. Um, I, I have uh, a presence on on three social platforms. I'm I'm on Facebook, and you know, likes and sharings of things on Facebook. Those are I, I really value those. Those help to yeah, me too. Uh, get seen elsewhere, and it's a form of moral support. Also, um, I'm <laughs> totally. grateful for that. Totally. Um, there's there's Patreon, which is uh, something like Kickstarter, but it's for ongoing projects. So for Kickstarter, is like we're going to do a festival or a game. A Patreon is for ongoing things, which is what I do. You know, the continual improvement of games, developing new games, right. uh, carry programs out to people. And so that's a way to, to support people that are doing stuff you believe in. So if you go to Patreon, you look up Mindful Mammoth, you know, people who could put in even a dollar a month, you know, that's that's a very welcome support. And it, right. it also, you know, when people participate that way, it's not only moral support to me, but it's also um, when I go to talk to other folks, you know, uh, grant writers or whomever, you know, they say, oh, you have, you have patrons. Wow. You know, that's, that's an instant respect. It's a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the last thing, which is the new thing is that I've recently opened up a storefront on teachers pay teachers. Nice. And, um, all the stuff on there is actually on my website too. I'm trying very hard for equity. So the stuff on teachers pay teachers, you can pay dollars for it. You can get it off my website, but it's on teachers pay teachers in part to try and get a revenue stream, but also to try and get it out there. So like this, uh, urchins, otters and hidden forest, that's a, it's an aspect of this uh, um, larger uh, lesson plan for using the puzzle of life that I've just published. And in fact, 90% of that specifically does not make use of the puzzle of life so that it's open to people who don't have this. So you can, nice. you can download this thing and there's like five to 10 hours of stuff you can do with your class just with um, principal PDFs um, and this urchins and otters uh, activity is, is one of them. So if people are on Teachers Pay Teachers, you know, you can click the follower button, you can put in a positive review. Uh, those are things that are, are very welcome supports as well. Brilliant. Tim, as always, I, I find that when I'm finished with a conversation with you, that I've learned something deeper than what I came in expecting I would get. There's a there's a there's a philosophical richness to your thinking that uh, I deeply value. I'm so glad that you were willing to take the time to talk with me and to share that conversation with the listeners. And um, and I'm looking forward to having you on when we do season two. Awesome. I really appreciate talking to you too, John. And as you said, we come from different places and you have a depth of experience in uh, teaching that I don't have. And I'm always really grateful to be able to trade these ideas with you because I, I feel like you know it enriches my perspective on, um, on my practice and, and on the world as well. So thank you. That's what the, wor- that's what the work is. Um, so listeners, uh, Tim told you where to go. Please go and support him. Totally deserving of all the support that you can uh, that you can think to give him, Game Level Learn is on Facebook, as you know, and go to our webpage, gamelevellearn.com. I'm at uh, John Cassie at Gmail. Tim, if someone wanted to email you, what would they email? 
they can send me an email at tim.handley at mindfulmammoth.com. Brilliant. Thanks, Tim, and thanks for listening.